Hello there, and welcome to the second episode of Rebel Plums. The podcast where we watch and analyse Star Wars films with about as much authority as Jar Jar Binks has when addressing the Galactic Senate. Around the table tonight, we have myself, Jake. Hello. Our resident Star Wars expert, Andy. Hello. Our casual fan and film lover, Rob. Hello. And last but not least, our Star Wars noob and token female, No. Hi. <laughs> this week, we're watching the second instalment of the franchise, Episode 5, The Empire Strikes Back, usually regarded as the best of the bunch, by those with good taste, anyway. So before we begin, we're just going to have a quick chat about what's going about to go down. Let's start with Andy. Andy, is this your favourite Star Wars film? Yes. <laughs> no. in, a, in, a, in, a, in a word, yes. We can't yeah. ask him why yet, because that would be revealing too much for later. Yeah, and I guess no needs to remain spoiler-free. <laughs> yeah, for, 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 for reasons I will go into, it hasn't always been my favourite. But it is my favourite. No, The Phantom Menace used to be your favourite, didn't it? When, when was, was the first the time you watched uh, episode one? The Phantom oh, okay. Menace is regarded yeah, it, uh, as uh, the uh, worst. first watched it like oh, right, okay. a day after seeing Phantom Menace. When I went to see Phantom Menace that weekend on the way home, my dad went and rented out the original trilogy VHSs for me. So it was like the same day, basically, or that same weekend that okay. I saw the original trilogy all at once. Yeah. So. Bit of an information oh. overload. With 19 years ago. 19 years ago, I saw it for the first time. Now, no, when we watched A New Hope, you rated that one an 8 out of 10, which is what most of us did. Knowing that this one is regarded as the best one by most people, do you think you're going to end up rating this one higher? It's a very so. loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, just, so, some people have a tendency to, you know, stick with the originals as a favourite. Like some Star Wars fans do, don't they? Like, and mm. some people insist that the first Toy Story is the best one, and they're wrong. But you know, they are wrong. Just, I was wondering are. if you were also one of those people. <laughs> I'm, I'm not one of those people. <laughs> I don't think anyway. Okay, quick tangent. What is the best Toy Story film? Three, obviously. It's between two and three for me. I would say three. I think they're all great. Three, obviously. <laughs> it's a perfect trilogy and they shouldn't do a fourth one. I'm going to send beams from my head to whoever's in charge of Pixar so that they don't do a fourth one. I mean, it's which, being made. It's I know. Out, it's coming out next year. So. I know. Oh, well. Uh, <sighs> um. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I guess now we're going to go ahead and watch the film. And in podcast land it'll be instantaneous but for us it's going to be two grueling hours of star wars does the trailer for this one have john williams's music <laughs> because the it trailer for do. the should do. episode is terrible i think the trailer for this one's got like your old favorites back again luke skywalker i think so anyway. <laughs> i hope we can get that to put it little did they know that i've actually replaced the blu-ray with our version of the star wars holiday special Oh yay! So the the true that. sequel to a new home. <laughs> exactly. So. See you on the other side. Luke Skywalker and Han Solo rescued the princess, destroyed the Death Star, but their story didn't end there. Creators of the biggest smash hit of all time bring you the next episode in the Star Wars saga, The Empire Strikes Back. The continuing story of our band of heroes, Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, Han Solo, C-3PO, R2-D2, and Chewbacca. And introducing Lando Calrissian. It's an epic of romance. 
and villains. They cross trackless voids to unknown worlds. Odyssey against oppression. A big, new, sprawling space adventure in the Star Wars saga, The Empire Strikes Back. Coming to your galaxy next summer. So we've just finished watching the film, which was, well, I don't need saying because we told them 10 seconds ago in podcast time, even if it was two hours ago for us. But I will open the floor as the chairman of the board um, <laughs> to discussion. What did everyone think? No, let's start with you. I really enjoyed it. I, I found it better than the last one. Oh, good. good. Yeah, it was just more interesting, I think, because you kind of knew the characters already and that kind of thing. So. Mm. Yeah. That, that's what Jake said when he first saw it. I remember you saying, this is like so much better than yeah, the last one. You don't need to gauge the background and stuff like that because you kind of already have an idea, so... Yeah, I guess that's the problem with the New Hope is that it has to establish all of its characters and settings, and this one obviously has none of that baggage. Yeah, mm. yeah, I, I, I've always thought the same. I think the fundamentally great thing about this film is that it just like does as much as it possibly can with all the characters, which a New Hope doesn't do really because it's got so much setup. Yeah. I mean, I've got loads to say, but I'm going to stay quiet for now. You can, well, <laughs> do you have any questions for Noel that you did last time? In the way Because you said you wrote some stuff down before the film. Oh, this is just stuff to just to make sure it gets mentioned, stuff to talk about. But I have I'm gonna ask the same questions really. Okay. So we've already got what you think of it, you enjoyed it. Favourite character in this one? Still R2, but but, <laughs> but Yoda's a strong contender. Oh mm. Yoda's a funky little Yeah. Dude, isn't <laughs> okay, so you're liking the sort of like the side characters. The, the non human quirks. Yeah. Yeah, okay. They're the best bits of Star Wars, yeah, the fun quirks, quirks. I can't characters. wait for you to get the, the porgs, right? <laughs> From Last <laughs> Jedi, you're going to fall in love with the with those. And BB-8. And BB-8. He's awesome. <laughs> Rob, your favourite? Um, can you go to Jake while I think about it? Oh. Jake? <laughs> is, it, is it such a deep question that you need to... Um, my, my first reaction from my favourite character is Han is so much better in this film than he is in the previous film. A little bit rapey with Leia, especially at no. first. I that think he's scene, confident, you know? I don't know, that scene where they're in that, that tight space together and he basically and he just kind of on her. moves yeah. towards her until she goes... The thing is, like, I mean, um, I did ask Andy, and he established that there were three years in between this film and the last film. So we don't know what's happened between the relationship of Han and Leia between then. They could have, you know, they could have done it a million times, for all we know. But, like, if if you just go in from watching episode four to watching episode five, it, the start of their relationship is so bizarre, because it really does feel like Han is just forcing himself on Leia. 
I've actually written down Han and Leia off-screen development. Yeah. That was in the first 20 minutes when I wrote that down because the way that they're kind of bickering at each other, it feels like we've landed about three or four chapters into a book about how Han and Leia are definitely going to fall in love with each other and all all that they like each other and but all that they don't want to admit it really and like well i i think I felt a bit plunged in there's a there's a few different answers to that really because i mean when I, I i've always got the impression that that was not their first kiss that they've been on and off at least for a while smoochy smoochy and also there's a bit of a theory that you know when they fly to bespin and they haven't got hyperspace there's a theory that that's like months and that's when luke's doing all his training and that there's yeah. a big time skip, and that they're together for ages. But anyway, I don't. I don't think that scene is too bad, actually. I. Th- I think it's not as bad as is Harrison Ford's in Blade Runner. Well, wow. yeah. does he get really rapey in Blade Runner? Very. Like wow. he literally, like he physically stops a woman from leaving. That's pleasant. Uh, <laughs> stops a woman from leaving his apartment, and then they sleep together. Like he physically grabs hold of her and says, "Like you're not going anywhere." I, I just think it's not as if Leia doesn't like him. She loves him, she says, so like a few scenes later. And I don't know. Yeah, but she's she saying knows. that while he's getting... Fr- I'm not saying she doesn't love him. It's just, you know, it's just... Going straight from number four to number five without knowing what's happened in between, it just feels it's a creepy. bit disturbing. It, it is creepy. Yeah. I, I fair, fair, creepy. Enough. fair enough. I think, having thought about it, my favourite character is probably Yoda. Okay. Less so for his introduction. His introduction is not how I remember him. What, when he's all silly and weird? And when he kind of comes in, it's like, I'm a gremlin. And I'm like, going to eat all your food. I'm going to eat all your food. And <laughs> oh, ho, ho, ho. mess around with your technology. And stuff like that. I mean, I sound a bit like, like Kermit there. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, my name is Yoda. <laughs> but I think as you get deeper and deeper into it, into the film, his Yoda's relationship with the Force is probably the most important aspect of the film in the sense that this film is more about the Force than any other. Not as much as The Last Jedi. I don't know. I I, I think... Sorry, I should say say the original trilogy because ultimately the most important thing about this film is the relationship that Luke has with the Force and whether he's on the, the darker side or the lighter side, whether he's tempted by heritage, you know, like subconsciously tempted by his heritage, like the way that his father went and this, that and whatever. But... Yoda's quite good at articulating something that's really... I mean, the screenplay's really good in the aspects when it has to deal with the Force. I think the screenplay's probably at its strongest because when Yoda's talking essentially to himself but sort of talking aloud to himself, to Luke, he manages to articulate what the Force is and what the Force means but and then ultimately what the, the film is about but without really being on the nose it still keeps the force as this kind of intangible i don't want to say force but i know what you mean it's, it's yeah. exactly the same as what luke the way, does in the last jedi with um ray and stuff the way that he yeah. talks about it like he explains it and then ray just goes yeah but what is it because mm. you still don't know what it is yeah. even though yoda's explained what it is and the way that yoda talks about it is really it's quite beautiful in a way actually just the way that he he doesn't seem to worship it, but he just he allows it to live within him. He's quite spiritual, actually. I mean, I guess that's the point. Like, Yoda's like a wise old person who lives in the mountain. You know, like in in another film where somebody like would go on a spirit. Yeah, like a monk, someone who would like live in monk. the mountains. Someone goes on a spiritual adventure to find who they really are, and they meet this 
wise old Jamaican woman. <laughs> the famous play that marks mum writes in Peep Show, but like... Yeah. <laughs> um, but I feel like that's the kind of character Yoda is, and like, his introduction isn't great, but then as he grows into it a little bit more, he kind of he embodies what the film is about. And I wanted to say Luke, but... Because I think Luke and Han both grow up a lot in this film. I don't think Luke's ever meant to be the best but, character in any of the films, though, isn't he? He's more like... No, the... he's kind of like what Jon Snow was before, yeah. sort of, like, season six of Game of Thrones, where, like, he was clearly somebody that... He was at the centre of the story, but he wasn't necessarily, like... You know, Tyrion was your main guy. Yeah, he's... he's yeah. Like, like, you root for Luke, but, you know... All the other characters are more fun. Yeah, I, th- yeah. I think Luke is the centre in narrative terms of everything, but he's there for everybody else to bounce off. Mm. Um... And and yet, like there are whole, there's a whole like arguably the main plot of the film. Luke is not really in at all because mm. he probably gets more screen time the Han and Leia subplot, and Luke's not part of that at all, and he's not really missed. So like Luke is a brilliant character, but yeah, he's not really what the saga is about. Nobody no, he disappears. He, off he disappears on everyone's like, what? And everyone's just kind of mm. getting. Oh on no, with their he lives. hasn't met us at the rendezvous point. Yeah. Um. What about you? Who is oh, your favorite character. character from Empire? Well, you've made it easy for me because I had loads and loads of answers, but <laughs> most of, well, they've all kind of been said anyway. Well, the ones that them. haven't been said, um, Vader, first of all, I think he's just like maybe the best movie villain ever. Oh, he's definitely the film. most improved character. Like, oh yeah, definitely. As, as, as a child, even, not even, I'm not even talking about the first time I watched this, just every time I watched it as a child, there was nothing scarier in the world than Vader in this film. He absolutely <laughs> terrified me. Mm. And it's and in a way when he um, reveals himself as Luke's dad, and you would think that would humanize him. What he's Luke's dad? You would think that you would think that would humanize him, but I think it makes him more scary because it raises this whole question of whoa, I haven't got you figured out at all. Like you've got loads of stuff going on I didn't even know about, and you're already scary. Yeah, yeah. I I I think he's just brilliant. He, he wins the award for most improved character because if you remember yeah. in a New Hope, oh he was like, he was just boring. Like at the he end where he's much. flying around spinning yeah. in his spaceship but he just flies off screen. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't nothing. go as far as to say that Vader was boring in A New Hope but well, there's not a lot to him. Comparing, comparing what he's like to Empire Strikes Back this film has given him a scary. lot of depth. Yeah. Yeah. And they've really thought about what to do with him. It's not, it's not even just yeah. about the writing it's about how he's shot it's about uh, James L. Jones' vocal style has changed it's about like his role in the story about how all the characters how their performances of the other actors are around him. They just everyone is clearly working hard to make Vader the central sort of scary yeah, focus of there's it. No, and it works so well. There's no, how do I put this, with General Tarkin in The New Hope, like, we were sat there thinking afterwards, so who was the main yeah, villain? Yeah, was it Vader? Exactly. Was it Tarkin? There's basically no question in this film. But I, I just want to go back to the point where you said, the way that Vader is shot, I've actually written down, Vader by this point is so iconic that they don't even need to introduce him by showing you his face. Mm. They show in the back of they show you the back of his head. Yeah, and all you need to know is the vague shape of the helmet and the. Yeah. <sighs> Plus, he's the only character in all black, literally all black, which helps as well. well he's just so striking, isn't it? And it's I like, want yeah, to, you just you know him when you see him straight away. Yeah. I want to talk about colours in the film, not just yet, because I feel like it will come when we talk about the film a little bit more generally we move away from just character discussion but I'll drop that in there for now just as a what? keep listening kind of thing <laughs> well before we do move on I want to mention one other character 
Lando, who I've just always had such a soft spot for. I just love Lando. <laughs> I just think he's great. Andy's always wanted Lando to return, and to be honest, I've never quite understood why, because I just don't think he plays that big of a role. The is thing he not that, in the sixth film? He is, in the sixth he film. is yeah. but he's, he's, he's wanted him to return in the sequel trilogy. And it, it's just, like, Lando's in, if you look at all the films in general, Lando's in such a small part, and it's relatively minor. I just, I just find him so memorable, because he's the first character who really is genuinely ambiguous that I know they set up Han as like the the rogue who you can't trust whatever in A New Hope but you're never really in any doubt that Han is 100% the good guy yeah, that you can true. trust him whereas with Lando it's all in the you know he's, he does actually sell them out to Vader yeah. yeah he completely screws them over he gets Han stuck in carbonite you know he's the real deal he's genuinely not on anyone's side for yeah. most of the film and, well and he does come good at the end but I just think he's such a He's a really you good don't get many though. characters like that in Star Wars. Yeah, you get someone who's so much more complex. As we'll come to learn in Star Wars, you don't get very many characters who are at all that occupy the moral grey space. Yeah. And mm. really good on he's, he's actually a really nice parallel to Han and his character development from the first film because if you go back to Han at the beginning of the uh, episode four, Han's not quite as willing to do deals with the Empire or anything like that in the way that Lando yeah. kind of was like Han would never be at the top of a mining empire or anything like that but throwing Han up at this stage of the story against somebody that he used to know and see how differently Han now behaves around someone who he grew up with yeah. and learnt his ways from in a way yeah. and kind of grew away from because Han isn't necessarily, like you say, Han isn't massively like morally ambiguous in A New Hope, but he's so far away from what Lando is now. Like he's kind of bought into the resistance and he's uh, the rebellion. Sorry, <laughs> and like yeah, oops. Um, but it, at least having Lando in there, because when you watch Han throughout the two films. If you look at him just in isolation, just his scenes, he's kind of just become a bit cheekier. Yeah. And, you know, the, like, I love you, I know thing. Mm. Like, you know, he's become a bit cheeky, but then when you throw Lando into the mix, I think it becomes quite clear that Han's actually made quite a lot of personal progress. Yeah, or, totally. And moral Again, progress. Han's just but, such a massively improved character in general. Yeah. yeah. Everyone, everyone in this film is so much better written compared yeah. to the previous film. Mm. And yeah. I, think, I think I would probably say as well every every character is better acted. I think the acting yeah. from everyone just steps up a level in this one. I think um, I mean behind the scenes in A New Hope nobody really had any faith in it and I think you can tell now that they all are really enjoying making this that they all realise this is actually you know people are watching this they want to put some effort into these performances you know they're really they're really um, especially Harrison Ford I feel like I know he um, he is not particularly fond of Han as a character in real life but you can tell he's really having so much fun in this film mm. I think you can really tell and James Earl Jones even though it's only his voice inside Vader he's not even like physically in the yeah, film I don't know you can just tell this. how much he's relishing Vader, in, Vader in the suit is actually played by a um, Yorkshire, Yorkshireman isn't he What's yeah called name? David Prowse David yeah. Prowse oh so the voice isn't the same person in the suit no, no. just, some, just oh. a guy in the suit if you did it would yeah. be like Proper farmer voice. Yeah. <laughs> or and yeah, you're James, me father. Yeah. I mean, I'm your father, boy. <laughs> yeah, and James James Earl Jones is the voice, and he's never been in it. Never been on the set, anything like that. He's but he's the voice of Darth Vader, which is really weird. Not even credited in A New Hope, because oh, yeah. he felt he hadn't done enough. 
to oh, be credited, he decided well, he didn't want to put. Oh, so David Prowse was credited. Yeah, as well, he said it wasn't fair on David Prowse, so he decided well, not to David, be credited. I bet David Prowse probably felt the same when he watched the film and suddenly he was dubbed over. Oh no, he's <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's really bitter about it. Really bitter about it. Um, <laughs> do you have any more actual questions for Nor? Um, same as last week. What were your favourite scenes? Oh, RT falling into the little the little lake thing. <laughs> With his little periscope. <laughs> yeah. So cute. That was just a nice little touch. Um, the end bit where Luke puts his arm around Leia and they're all like gazing into the distance. That was like a nice ending. It's definitely yeah. my, one of my favourite endings. Yeah, it's a really nice shot as well. The franchise, yeah. Um, and the music swells really well. Yeah. It's just nice. And yeah, yeah the, the lightsaber battle as well, because that was a lot better than last. Oh <laughs> yeah, you actually put that as a highlight this week. That was your low light last yeah. week. <laughs> I think it's a low light just because in A New Hope it has like it's like oh cool lightsabers are so awesome and they have so yeah. much potential and then they like hit lightsabers like twice and yeah. Obi Wan just gives up and's like. Eh. Yeah. Whereas in this one, there's an actual battle. Like you said earlier on when we were watching the film, you can tell that they feel it was an area they really need to improve on. Yeah, and you, they, you can tell the thought the that they've realised about the lighting. And that it actually has to have some drama behind it, otherwise it's just people smashing light just up wait, sticks. Just wait until you get to the Phantom Menace, where it literally <laughs> is just people smashing up light up sticks. But it, it, it's still really cool because of it. Yeah. Oh, the battles in the prequels are quite good. <laughs> but that's about it. Um, we're away. I've got some things written that I wanted to talk about. You seem like you're chomping at the bit to talk about one of them, which is the direction. Evan Kershner, the director. Yeah, I haven't actually come across any of his other films before. As you, I mean, I imagine. I don't think he's particularly. No, I don't uh, think he's. I mean, I, I could be wrong about this. I, I don't really know anything about Musk, which I should do, really. But, but um, I'm not quite sure where to start. I mean, I've separated my. I've actually got notes this time, but like I've separated my notes into th- um, thirds, which kind of hints at like my first major point. There is a very clear beginning, middle, and end in this yeah. film. Oh, totally. And that's really hard to articulate quite a lot of the time. But especially in something that has as much going on as like a Star mm-hmm. Wars thing, mm. but like again, the the there isn't necessarily like an internal arc to the first forty minutes in the way that there is in A New Hope, where you meet a universe and then you understand it a little bit better by say minute thirty five forty. Whereas in this one, it's like the rebellion of set up a base on Hoth, the Empire find the rebellion on Hoth, they have to leave Hoth. And then that's the end of the first act. And then they get separated for the second act, which is when Luke goes to the Dagobah system. And when Han, Leia, and whoever, they all go off and do their thing and live in an asteroid worm belly. And then just as, and then the third act kind of begins at Cloud City, I guess. Yeah. And then obviously that ends from there. But the first thing that really struck me, because they're on Hoth, I think the, the choice to go to Hoth is deliberate. Or at least it was half like an established thing before the film. No, no. nothing was. Nothing was. Like, so there was only a new hope. What's in a new hope? So was established. yeah. Like, so yeah. that probably makes it even stronger for me that like half is like deliberately really white, and they start to put deliberate colours in for like sides of the force and mm. things like that. It's there are things, and then when they go to like Vader's Easter egg, it's like it's all black. His Easter egg, <laughs> and, like, and yeah, you know, he's like his little pod train door thing, which like, is a ridiculous concept. Door. Yeah, he just Rob kind of sits there. That. I mean, is it supposed to be some kind of like restoration healing chamber. tent, yeah. like yeah, an oxygen like tent that gives him sexual powers? But, <laughs> 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 
Because, like, you see them put the helmet on and, like, he's got, like, chapped heads. I like to think he's got a PlayStation 4 in there. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, it's black as well. So, you know... It fits right in. It fits right in. But, yeah, I mean, I suppose the Stormtroopers are quite... um, Maybe a massive hole in my theory. Like, the Stormtroopers put a massive hole in my theory, but I suppose their costumes are kind of designed from uh, episode four. But all of the colours that surround the good characters at the beginning of the film, like, they're just... There's so much white, and then immediately they're contrasted across, like, with black, with Vader, and it's a bit obvious. But this film is about basically anything except the middle ground. Mm. Because there's there's a really telling scene with... um, Well, I suppose the middle ground is the Force... And it's about the side that you pick of it. Like, there is no... You can't be morally ambiguous, I suppose. Like, because there's a bit where Luke says to Yoda, oh, I'll try. And Yoda's like, no, you either do or you don't. There is no try. Mm. You either fail or you succeed. You're either good or you're bad. You're either just like your father or you go on a different path. Like, there's lots of very deliberate kind of, here's the middle ground and, like, you have to separate yourself from it entirely if you're to be you know if you're to follow a path if you're to go on your destiny yeah. if you're to do this it's that, a whatever. film about not sitting on fences yeah I th- yeah, yeah I, th- I think that theme ties into everything I think again coming back to Lando is that the do or do not think ties in directly into him yeah, and he is put in a situation where as much as he's ambiguous he has to basically either do the right thing or don't and at first he doesn't and then he changes his mind and that drastically changes everything and helps them to get away and yeah, he, he can't sit on the fence because every time he tries to sit on the fence, he's being pulled this way and that by Han or Vader. And yeah, that, that, that's through the whole film, really. It's about I've, making the right decisions. Well, I mean, the whole of Star Wars, up until maybe quite recently with um, The Last Jedi, has always been about just good versus evil. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's the good guys and the bad guys. And this is probably the film that cements that formula most of all because... You, it's got the visual contrast between good guys and bad guys. It's got, you know, Yoda's do or do not style yeah. that Rob was just talking about. But I, I think I think I think it goes further than that though. I think it, it's not just about good and evil. It's about the, the choices you make are, are, the, are the important thing. And again, you sound that, like that goes. But it is. It's actually yeah. It, it's like Dumbledore's quote about the. Uh, it's not our abilities that define us. It's our choices. And yeah, it's. It, I think that's what it's about, and it's what the last Jedi. Is well, about. yeah, it's what a lot of the Star Wars was about. Really, it's that these are characters who found themselves at the center of this massive epic conflict. Some of them, like Han, hasn't got the Force. Leia hasn't got the Force really, and that you know they can still influence this by their choices. And Luke, ultimately, even though he's got the Force throughout the film, and you know he's getting more powerful, suddenly he's put up against someone who's so much more powerful than him, and he can't do anything. And it's ultimately about what they choose to do yeah. and who who they are as characters. It's not really that much about the Force. And I like that. <laughs> um, while we're on Hoth, I think I'd just like to talk about just the first... We're not literally general. on Hoth, just to make that clear. <laughs> Hoth is a fictional planet. It would be That's incredible right. if we were on We that. stuck our fingers to the ground and it was salt. <laughs> um, but just to talk about everything up to the point where they leave Hoth... As someone who's seen the fight sequence on Hoth for the first time with the camels... Yes. What did you make of that? Because I remember that being a little... I mean, maybe everything seems a bit more epic when you're a child. But 
Well, I think it hit the nail it on the head. I mean, it, it was really <laughs> nicely choreographed and really nicely done. I just don't. I don't know whether just as a first time viewer with like fresh eyes and stuff. Did you follow how those camels actually got there? No, I've no idea. Because I, I'm, I'm a bit non the wiser as to how the camels were on Hoth. Like you never see the spaceship land. You never. The, see Vader it. says something about deploy the fleet below their shield. So I think he probably landed them far oh, away. Oh, is he talking about up. the walkers? Here? Yeah, the walkers. Yeah, you yeah. calling them camels? Yeah, and camels. I was really confused as to what you meant. Are they just called walkers? No, they're called AT-ATs. Okay, yeah, but they right. call them walkers <laughs> in the film. Yeah. yeah. I've never I heard them called camels before. No, they just <laughs> look a bit like camels. They do look a bit like camels. Yeah. But what did you make of that? It was pretty cool. Really, un- it just felt a bit out of place. Just I- with, like having that as an army rather than anything else. Because like mm. robot cam- camels isn't what you <laughs> yeah. think of. Robot camels is stealth attack. <laughs> I mean, I liked the um, the way they dealt with them. Yeah, it was, it was pretty really clumsy. Clever. Like, but I kind of liked the way they just kind of. Oh, it's a harpoon. We'll just tie it up yeah. and make it trip. I'm always yeah. That's a great idea. Yeah, does a, does a big theme running through all of Star Wars where the rebels or the resistance or whatever always have to sort of like scrap together at the last minute to come up with some haphazard yeah. solution? Find, find to get an easier way. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And this one just happens to be um, tying the shoelaces together <laughs> so they trip over. Mm. I think um, the way that they leave Hoth, it's really good at making the planet feel very small in this universe because it felt like it didn't matter which point they left the planet from the empire had them surrounded like mm. hoth is an entire planet like if we darted out of earth from australia and somebody was coming in from the side of like the us or yeah. the uk you'd be miles away but like it didn't matter which point they seemed to leave it was like no we, we can't send two at once it's this it's we can't do it and it makes you know, they, they, they've got they've got us surrounded on all corners, and it felt a little bit like the planet was very tiny. Maybe like, it is a tiny planet, and it made the empire seem really incredibly imposing. Considering yeah. like the considering what they've the empire suffered at the end of the at the end of a new hope as well. I mean, I say suffered like they lost their big weapons, yeah. but they've managed to cobble together things pretty quickly. Like, I mean, it says in the crawl straight away that the rebellion have kind of been forced to hang out on this or hide out on this frozen moon with, mm. an, ad- with an abominable snowman just kind of hanging out <laughs> yeah. I mean what, what's the name of that thing a wamper it's basically just there to explain <laughs> why Mark Hamill's name. got a messed up face and that's the only reason <laughs> that is the best name but yeah I get what you mean about the planet feeling small but Star Wars always has a hab- habit of making its planets feel relatively small mm. because all of its planets are themed on one thing yeah just one you've set as well Hoff the snow planet you've got Tatooine the desert planet yeah. later on we'll have Naboo the forest planet and Coruscant the planet made out of sissies it's like literally it, I can't wait personally until we get to like Planet of the Hats or something ridiculous <laughs> like that you know and it does make the Star Wars planet seem really small but I, think, I think a good rule of thumb is to think of them as countries or cities rather than planets because yeah. they are yeah yeah and you always have a habit as well instead of doing to, to make up for the fact that all of these planets are really small rather than landing on planets you always seem to land on moons that surround the bigger planets instead yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. just so they can sort of skirt that fact but mm. I guess if they were to make every planet as diverse as something like Earth was it would be incredibly complex and you might as well probably... just have the story on one planet exactly yeah. Yeah. yeah which would defeat the point of it being Star Wars it would you know just be planet Earth Wars yeah <laughs> you know already been done <laughs> going back to Hoth um, 
but I, I just I just think that it's interesting that it's the furthest possible thing you could get away from Tatooine instead instead of a raging hot desert. Yeah, planet, okay, I didn't you know have a blisteringly sauce. cold snow planet. They're both extreme desolate, you know, high temperature planets, and I th- I think it's um, interesting in that it sort of starts the same way as in New Hope. In a very basic sense, in that you've got like this really desolated planet with nobody around. They they have some kind of minor scrape, which means they all stick around a bit longer than they should, and they have to run away from the Empire, and then they're off the planet, and the story gets started. You're really grasping at straws. To no, it's just a very basic. But, but from yeah. there, it goes like a in completely a different direction from A New Hope. It's almost like they're starting you on sort of familiar territory by having this kind of big location thing where all the characters are then you have a battle gone but from there it goes in a completely different direction and it sort of leads me on to what I was going to ask Noah is that as a sequel to A New Hope Mm -hmm. is this what you expected? No not at all In what way? I I don't really know what I expected to be honest but um It feels so different doesn't it? Yeah it's just it's it's a lot more intense and there's a lot more going on and with A New Hope it was was a little bit slower just because like of all the Mm. character development and that kind of thing but I expected there to be more character development. I don't know why, but because I feel like I don't need to know anything more about what well, I don't need to know that much more about the characters. But mm. I don't know. It just seemed re- really intense and sort of more fast paced than mm. any hope was. Which is weird yeah. because if you think about it, not very much happens in this yeah. film. Nothing yeah, ha- nothing it's true. Happens compared but it still to feels like whereas it's like moving it, at lightning speed. Exactly. In New <laughs> Hope, like the quite a lot happens, especially in comparison to this one. And in this one, we get these three acts, but they're, they're literally built around three sets, and that's it. Mm. You've got, they're on Hoth, then they're in space, and then they're on a cloud planet, and that's it. That's yeah, we kind of noticed a similar to. thing about New Hope, actually, where it only really takes place in about three or four locations. But I just, it's interesting that you mentioned that the film doesn't, like, it, it's intense and it moves at pace and stuff like that. Mm. The first 40 minutes does not stop. Like, it's just constant like the pacing is so good like yeah. it just it throws you through the first 40 minutes yeah. of the film which is probably why to my eyes I didn't feel like it had as neat an arc as A New Hope because there's no time for character development <laughs> barely like there's barely any time mm. because they're trying to escape from well Luke gets captured and like half eaten and like his face gets scratched and like he gets his lightsaber back and then there's always the thing's missing an arm and like always hands found him and all the other nearly gonna die and then oh they get back just in time oh but the empire's there oh and there's a big battle oh and there's and then there's, oh, there's an evacuation oh my god there's a meteor field and then like <laughs> you know oh there's an asteroid field and then ah and then everything calms down and mm. then when it calms down that's when it really gets in to what i like because for the first 35 40 minutes i was thinking why did I like this more than A New Hope? It's basically the same. <laughs> like, you know, I'm not in a bad way, just sort of like, this is like a solid eight. Where did I feel mm. this nine coming from that I seem to have in my head? And... Stop giving away your score. Oh, well, you know... <laughs> but when it actually settles down a little bit, there is a little bit of time, not necessarily for character development, but more character analysis... Luke doesn't really change much from his time with Yoda. Like, he's... The only thing he really learns is that he has to control the Force, which he kind of knew anyway. Like, he's still a good person. Like, he's not suddenly become morally ambiguous. The only thing that really changes him a little bit in this film, I would say, is just 
how he feels for a little moment when Vader tells him that he's his father. Just in the sense that, like, Vader kind of drops something in there to, to kind of tempt him. Like, I'm your father. Come and join me. It, it's, it, you know, it's the right thing to do. I am your mm. patriarch. I am your patriarchal figure. Please join me. And then, not for maybe like a second, it's maybe just a little bit afterwards, but there's a... The, it's when he's mainly as well with Yoda. Like, you, you are kind of a little bit, not worried, but the film does kind of tempt the possibility that Luke is... And then, yeah. you know, immediately Vader is preparing to, like, see the general afterwards and, like, you know, the, the general... Uh, not the, the Emperor, sorry. The Emperor, yeah. Ah, but as Yoda mentions, it doesn't matter if he dies because there is another. <laughs> oh, we'll come to that in a bit. <laughs> yeah. I just, but before we leave that point, though, I just want to say that... Um, you're right, Luke doesn't really have that much character development throughout most of the film, but I think that's sort of the point. Mm-hmm. I think it's that the lesson he learns from the end of the film is that he was way too cocky and arrogant and too eager to get back to the fight and he he wasn't listening to what Yoda was teaching him he just waded in to go and fight Vader and save his friends and there's a point where just before Vader tells him he's his father where he stops fighting and says Luke you do not yet understand your importance and I think that's the ultimate lesson that he learns is that he was not ready to be wading into this he should have stayed behind and got more training and let Obi-Wan and Yoda sit him down properly and tell him the truth but they didn't have time because he just sped off Mm. and got in in way over his head and so I think that's his character development is that it comes mm. with that I am your I am your father reveal is that he suddenly realises no I, I, I do not understand this at all I'm not ready to fight Vader at all and I think that's deliberate that they leave his character development until the very end because until you find out what's really going on you're with Luke and that you think why isn't he fighting and then you realise hang on there's way more here that Luke didn't know he needed to have more training before he did this mm. I really, um, I mean, you said it when they landed, but that you really liked the set of the Dagobah system. The kind oh, of like, so good. it's kind of it, it's kind of like a mixture of a rainforest and a marsh. Yeah, swamp planet. Like it? it's like a swamp or something, and there's something about it. Like you can get quite a lot of texture out of a swamp, and mm. they use it because Luke constantly looks not just sweaty but like dirty. Oh, like when he I, constantly when I needs a wash. Burts out that horrible brown stuff. Yeah, and like R2's like covered in mud the entire time, and it's kind of deliberate that they didn't wash him. I think because <laughs> R2's constantly, R2's this shiny white and blue like. Oh, yeah, here I'm. I'm a chirpy robot, and he's just covered in shit the entire time <laughs> he's there. And. I mean, I really liked the time that they spend on um, the Dagobah system. That's actually my favourite part of the film. Mm. Because I was a little bit... Because my memory of this film was kind of hazy, I was a little bit worried that when Yoda pulled the the, the jet plane... The X-Wing. The X-Wing, that's it. Not TIE Fighter, though, that's the other side. Um, when he pulled it out of the water, I was kind of... Expe- I was My head was kind of remembering... Image like, of a little Yoda tugging onto an X-Wing with his hands. <laughs> yeah, so but like, it, it made me think, like, oh, they're just going to go now. Is that Luke believing in the Force now? Because like, it was, you know, hazy. I've not seen this film in about seven years. But, like, the way that they then stuck around, it wasn't just like, okay, Luke's learned his lesson now. He can go and fight Vader. It's still very, like... No, he's, he's not ready. He's, he's very... He, I mean... It's strange that people have criticised The Last Jedi so much for doing, should we say, subversive things with the characters, making them out to be a little bit 
you know, mm. flawed, making them out, they're making the main characters out to be flawed, and this film does exactly the same yeah. thing. Totally, the there's a lot thing. of yeah. like a lot of the themes, and again, we'll discuss this in like however many bloody weeks it is until we watch the last Jedi. <laughs> but so many of the themes and the way the characters work and stuff, and even in some respects, the plot, they're very similar to Empire Strikes Back and and Last Jedi. They both they mirror each other quite a lot. Yeah, which annoys me why so many of the fans are annoyed by The Last Jedi because it feels like Empire yeah. Strikes Back and You've that's got a big change. That's exactly the phrase I would use that it feels like it. Like The Force Awakens not to spoil too much for you know, but it gets a lot of criticism for Basically narr- being narratively being very similar to A New Hope. It's the same. And it is. Every, every major being is basically the same. Whereas <laughs> The Last Jedi isn't similar narratively but it feels like it all the way through. The fe- the themes are the same. The mm. sense of sort of danger, the sense of kind of mistrust well, are, is the same. There are, yeah, there are superficial things, but I think not superficial. I mean, there are quite a lot of narrative similarities between Last Jedi and it. But I do, I do think it's more that it feels like it, and I think coming at Empire Strikes Back with a pair of fresh eyes, you realise that's not mm. a bad thing for for characters to do completely unexpected mm. things, for the film to completely offset you and challenge your mm. expectations. I think. it's good thing really good thing because the, the storytelling in this is actually really different to a new hope in the sense that like a new hope is very like abc direct you know it, it jumps through quite a lot of steps yeah. i mean you know it's not that's not necessarily a criticism it's it's way more direct but it kind and of has to be because it's introduced exactly so new concepts yeah whereas because they knew that this i take it they knew this was definitely going to be a trilogy by this point like they can oh, take, yeah, yeah, yeah they can take so much time mm. just to kind of they just leave things in there. They just kind of throw you a seed and like they're just kind of going to watch it grow for a little while and then by the end of episode six they have like a fully formed plant, if you will. Like there were just little things kind of thrown in like, oh, does Luke understand the Force? Why did Luke and Leia have that really weird connection at the end of the film? Mm. Why did this happen? Oh, you'll find out later. There's lo- and then they can just leave that as a little distraction and then because they don't have any kind of major because they leave the big action sequences to bookend the film like they, they put them yeah. right there's a lot of space in the middle no pun intended there is a lot of space in the middle for them to look at the character <laughs> I just got that yeah <laughs> but there is a lot of space in the middle for them to look at whether Luke actually does understand what he's part of how mm. Han has come to appreciate what he's part of. The Leia's beginning to play a slightly bigger role. She's not just... I don't know, I feel like Leia's a little bit underdeveloped in this. Yeah. She Her role in the film is to basically roll her eyes at the men in the film. Yeah, face back. Which, fair enough, <laughs> because that's kind of what she does in mm. the first film, where it's like, come on, you know, you came to rescue me, but you don't have a plan to get away, and now in this film it's like... Well, you keep saying you're going to fix the ship, but you never do. (laughs) (laughs) Like the repeated engine stutters subtitle (laughs) whenever they try to go into hyperspace. (laughs) To to, to a credit, though, I think that, like, they do at least give her a believable romance where she's not swept off her feet by some guy. You believe that they equally are quite into each other, Han and Leia. I think that they, they don't treat yeah. her as some silly little girl who he falls in love with. Okay. I don't think ever, really. I think all the way through, it's treated as a genuine romance. And I think that's probably, again, considering how long ago this is, it's probably more than you would usually expect mm. of the love interest. Because she is basically the love interest of this one. 
but she gets I think she gets a, a more decent time of it than hmm. most women would have in films of that day well speaking for all women everywhere <laughs> no <laughs> no pressure <laughs> um the only thing I was actually kind of curious about now that we're talking about this is if I would actually like to make kind of stress the point that the idea of this is that two couples watch Star Wars rather than four mm-hmm. friends, if you know what I mean. So if I had ever come on to you in the way that Han <laughs> comes on to you in the first bit of that film, the bit where C-3PO interrupts them, mm-hmm. how watching that, how, how, do, how do you feel about... I feel like I wouldn't have let you. <laughs> yeah. Um... And I'd have been thankful that C-3PO walked in. <laughs> <laughs> Good guy, C-3PO. <laughs> um, no, it's just... A, I feel like it was too intense too quickly. And... Because mm. I felt creeped out. Space but... and all that. Yeah, it was just... It was too much. Yeah, I don't... Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I honestly, I don't think that scene has aged very well because it's not really in Han's character for the rest of the film. Yeah, he's like, you know arrogant and like he's into himself and yeah. this that and whatever but he never seems like the type of guy to corner someone who is smaller than him and then but it's not like something that drags the whole film down I mean it's quite important that we're talking about Star Wars at this point because I read a great article once where it was like if you if you like Return of the Jedi but don't like the Ewoks then you understand feminist criticism what? What? because can if we get, get into this on Return of the Jedi? <laughs> it's, it's really small, but like basically, like everybody kind of generally agrees that the Ewoks are like the in quote in quotes the worst part of Return of the Jedi, but it doesn't ruin the film. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they are. So <laughs> non, you know, so things that haven't aged well doesn't necessarily ruin the film. It just that particular scene leaves a bad taste. Yeah, I would just like to. Stress. I completely agree. Like. Yeah. Um, like one of the first times I watched the film, and you hear when Han and Leia have that conversation quite early in the beginning of the corridor, and Han walks off and just says, "You could use a good kiss." I always thought that was just a bit. Uh, <laughs> it's like yeah, it's like no, you you are you are right. I just obviously I'm getting defensive of it because I'm a fan of this stuff, but I I, I think that the the way I manage to I know it's an awful phrase to use, but the way I turn a blind eye to it is that I just try and think that it is ultimately a film that's been written by writers and directors of a certain era. And I think it's... Mm. As, mu- as much as it feels a bit sort of creepy at times with Hannah Leia, I think it's clearly not what was intended. It's not... I, th- I think on a character level, you know, if you if you just read the script and not see the way it was filmed, I think on a character level, Leia is clearly not frightened of Han. She's not intimidated by Han. They genuinely, you know, have a joint romance. I think it's just aged badly in the way it was put together, in the way that the... F- you know the way it's executed in those scenes mm. I think it's an issue of the film and not an issue of like I, I try and think of it fictionally and forget about the way it was made because I think you know what I mean and that it was yeah. it was not the way it was intended for Han to come across as creepy yeah. I think it just looks quite unfortunate that's Plus, all it is you, you can forgive the writers um, Lawrence Kasdan is it is yeah. that his name um, because he does later go on to write Force Awakens and does he write Last Jedi as well uh, no, he didn't write Last Jedi, but he but wrote The Force Awakens he, and he's writing Force Awakens, which is well. much more of a feminist sort of, and has a lot less rapey scenes in there. Yeah, is, you know, doesn't have any. I think it's 100% less rapey. Yeah. <laughs> um, is there anything? I'd actually like to quickly completely change subjects and just kind of do a little mention for 
how much better the CGI is in this film compared to the first one. There's a couple of ropey shots. I think, um, but the, nothing major. The dis- the shots of the um, what are they called tortors or oh the tauntons the tauntons. Yeah. I think what are they? What, the the weird camel things. Oh, the kangaroo thingies. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. when they're on Hoth. I think when there are long distance shots of them being ridden off, like in the horizon stuff, you can very easily tell it's stop motion. Yeah. Yeah. And like it. When looks Han comes like, towards Luke, yeah. when he's having the vision, and you can see it just like, like the tauntons moving yeah. at like three frames per second or something ridiculous yeah. like that. It's like mm. it, that's a little mm. bit ropey. But, but when it comes to the Vader hologram scene. First of all, with the two generals who appear as the hologram and then fade away, and then with what's his name, Palpatine. Palpatine. We just don't. We only know him as the emperor. We only know him as the emperor. The emperor, yeah. but his hologram looks great. Well, that's because that really was made in two thousand and five. That's why. Yeah. Well, the thing is, like, there, were, there were lots of edits <laughs> made to the New Hope that were done later, and they looked absolutely fucking terrible. Yeah. So, but with that, it's because it, it um, blends in a little easier. They they later. They, they didn't cast that actor Ian McDermott as the Emperor until there the is a reason you'll know why but um, yeah the Emperor's been recast but yeah they, they, did, they didn't right, have to cast right, okay. the original actor I say actor in quote marks here because in Empire Strikes Back it's an old woman crossed with a monkey that's literally what it is with an old man's voice an old man's voice on an old woman crossed with a monkey it looked weird as hell and then they realised they had to have an actual actor for him in Return of the Jedi Mm. And so they went back and changed it, which I'm, which I'm fine with. Yeah, yeah, if you ever try and combine an old woman and a monkey on an actual set, it doesn't end well, so they couldn't get her to play. <laughs> <They're> not... <laughs> they, they tried to get this old woman and monkey to film Return of the Jedi, but the, the old woman was just not happy, and the monkey was just flinging poo everywhere. <laughs> so then they realised they had to cast an actual actor. To there, are both, there are no anyway. bananas in space. What did you th- what did you think of the emperor? No, in that one little scene. He has a great voice. I think. Yeah. Um, Not much of it. I, I, I don't. I don't remember him very much, to be honest. He talks like came and went. Yeah. <laughs> he he's great in the next film. Okay. And he he quickly becomes my favourite character. <laughs> yeah. So okay. You'll see. Don't say why, because uh, but yeah, he's just he's so cool. He just. He loves being evil so much. It's so much fun seeing him that, revel in being evil. <laughs> that Vader hologram scene actually opens up a little gripe I do have what? with the second and third acts of the film. Is that the reveal that Vader is Luke's father doesn't have a lot of foreshadowing. It's just kind of... Oh, I think it's the complete opposite. I think it's got loads of foreshadowing. Yeah, but you have seen the film like a million times. So <laughs> I, I think well, it's like, like serious rewatch value that you see things. Yeah, that's true. The second time around, but I think there's a little bit of discussion. I would like to have seen more of Vader coming to terms with the fact that Luke is his son, rather than coming to terms with the fact that Vader is Luke's father. If you know what I mean. I think not I to think... have him pacing back and forth, going, "Oh, Skywalker's my son, Skywalker," but like. I, I think he already knows. I think that he knows this kid is called Luke Skywalker from Tatooine. I think he already knows, and the Emperor's just confirming it to him. Mm. And Vader's just like, bloody hell, really? He's my son. I think he already knows. Yeah, because obviously Vader will know that he's Anakin Skywalker. That's Yeah. Yeah, okay. I think, I th- yeah. Mm. I, I think, I mean, it already says in the opening crawl, Vader is obsessed with finding Luke Skywalker. He already is That's way true. onto Luke before that scene. So I think he already knows, and... So the Emperor's got onto it when point. the Emperor mentions Anakin Skywalker, I take it he knows that Vader is Anakin. 
Yes. Right. Yeah, he's, he's creating them as separate characters because, well, really, they are they, separate they, characters. They are. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, idea is that, the idea is that when Anakin Skywalker became Vader, Anakin died, and Vader is this dark other character. If you remember, if you remember in New Hope where he says... Um, Oh no, it's not in New Hope, is it? It's in it's in the next film. I can't talk about it yet. Okay, but yeah, the the oh, idea yeah. is that when you turn to the dark side, you become a different person entirely. Okay. So, do we yeah. ever meet Anakin or not? Yes. Okay. In the he, he doesn't physically become a different person. Okay. It's just yeah, like yeah. 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 Uh, but anyway, well, he kind of does right. physically become a different. Person. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean. Well, not really to give it away, but episodes one, two, and three are basically just Anakin's films. Oh, of course, because they're the prequels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah we, we, we more than meet him. <laughs> Which, it'll be bizarre. We'll talk about it more when we get to the prequels. Yeah. But then once we've seen them, it basically changes the whole context of all of the films because it right. becomes a saga mm. yeah. all about Vader and Anakin rather than about Luke. Well, this is probably a good time to mention then. I wanted to talk about the I Am Your Father scene because the thing I love about it is that it turns it from a couple of couple of really great films into this big saga where you meet... About the Skywalker you, family. Yeah, where suddenly it's like there are events of bigger importance where it's like it's all about this family now within this war yeah. where there's a whole backstory. And I love how many questions it raises that when he says, I'm your father, it's like, right, suddenly we've got it. We've got some information on Vader's backstory now. We know who he is. But it, the questions it raises is like, why did Obi-Wan lie about it? Can Obi-Wan be trusted? What else don't we know? Like, how did Luke get separated? Like, who was Luke's mum? Yeah, because how did Vader end up like this? Because even Luke feels yeah. like that. Because he'll wander, he wander, wanders around the ship after it's all happened, and just go and like, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me? So, but it's a fair, and that's what that's yeah. the you yeah, it's think, a isn't it? That's the kind yeah. of. I think that is what I was trying to touch on before, and Jake just actually reminded it of me. Where we do kind of leave this film because Luke isn't one hundred percent human anymore. He's got robot arm. He has a robot arm. And it's just cool kind of, special effects. Yeah, for, yeah I mean, I, I always wonder how some, they did that. Especially the twitching. I imagine there's been yeah. some changes. I don't know. I don't know. But like, you you do kind of you don't necessarily leave this film wondering whether Luke is evil or not or anything like that. But there's a little doubt in his mind. Just just maybe like if you were going to have a, a, the, the human body is 100 percent and your right arm from the middle of your forearm down is about, I don't know, 5 to 10%. He's mm. just, 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 you know, there's that much equivalent of doubt yeah. just in him about what he's been told, who he's been raised as, yeah. why were so many secrets kept from him. And at the same time, he's basically been told by his Jedi master friend, Yoda, that, he's, that the dark side of the Force is easier, it's quicker, it's more seductive. And more powerful. And more powerful, and he's been given all of this information, and it feels like now he's actually trying to fight against something internally, mm. rather than yeah, a, rather than be a, a leading figure of the rebellion against the empire. Internally, he's actually trying to struggle because he knows that the light side of the force is the the better side, but it's harder to work for, and he's been told that the people that he trusts have essentially been lying to him his whole life. Yeah, my existence is a lie. Puts a different perspective on everything, including a new hope, because you now know, for example, that Obi Wan encountering Luke was not an accident, because mm. Obi Wan knew Luke's dad, and Vader, the same person, knew them very well. He knows exactly who Luke is. And there's loads of things like that where you look back now and it's like, yeah, mm. puts a different perspective on everything. Um, but the the battle between Vader and Luke, I mean, we were mentioning it before, but we'll go over it again. 
a bit in a bit more detail, I guess, because you want to talk about the I Am Your Father scene, but the build-up to that, like, I think I want to let you talk about the shot. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I pointed it out when we were watching it, probably my favourite shot of the whole saga. What a shot. Is when um, Luke comes up in the lift, he can't see Vader in the room, and then he turns around. The Force is with you, young Skywalker, but you are not a Jedi yet. And it's that just the silhouette of Vader, entirely black, with the big blue cloudy background and loads like of red in the room reds. as well. Yeah. It's like a painting. It's it's mm. the most. It's one of those shots that's just like so gorgeous. It's like I can't believe it's real that there's no CGI in it. The million lights they must have put on it to get that shot. And I don't, I don't really have anything to say about it. To be honest, just that it's an amazing shot. It's my favorite shot. Still not as good as a shot as Luke drinking blue boob milk in Last Jedi. <laughs> what a spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I would say it, it's probably not deliberate because they were directed by completely different people and whatnot. But the colours that come through in the circles in the stairway, yeah, this this is the first. Well, obviously the first Star Wars film, one because it's one of the first anyway. But this is one that's not actually directed by George Lucas, is it? He's yeah. got a very hands off approach to this film, but which is so what, the, arguably why it's so much better. Until <laughs> the new ones, it's by far the one he had the least involvement with. But the colours that come through the centre of the stairwell in those little like they're like portholes in the stairwell. Really, they really reminded me. I mean, it kind of reminded me anyway when Lucas stood there and Darth Vader's voiceovers kind of talking to him. It did, it did it did remind me of the colours that hit Luke's face when he's looking at the dual sunset in the first film. Just the kind of mm. sunset blues and reds and yellows just kind of melding into like... I mean, it's yeah. not... I don't think it's deliberate. It's just like, oh, this yeah. reminds me of this. And then the shot of Vader, just like... I mean, that's probably... Would you say that's Vader's defining shot? I think it's like the scariest the, he ever is. Because when you when, yeah. when the cut to Except Vader one. against those lights, you suddenly just think, oh, God. He's going to fight Luke now. This is not going to go well. And I'll never, ever forget watching it for the first time when I thought... I really, genuinely thought Luke was going to die. I thought there is no way he's going to get out of this. <laughs> he can't beat Vader. Yeah. Well, and he doesn't really, does he? He just sort of... I know, and he just... It's slightly <laughs> hilarious that when he says, you have no other choice. And then Luke's like, yeah, I do. Bye. And flies off. And then Vader's just like... And then Vader it's goes, just like, oh. knocked downwards as well. It's just it's like, like, oh, God, no. God, my pitch for the dark side was so good. <laughs> and he just... <laughs> God, I mean, it's like imagine giving a business boy. pitch. Imagine giving a business pitch, and like the person you've pitched it to just just kills them. I would like to say just because it takes place there, the design of Cloud City is actually really nice. Oh, it's good. I love yeah, the design yeah, of Cloud City. It's not one of those spinning idea. top. Well, it is designed to be like a spinning top thing. Uh, but all B spin. They really do a lot with it as well. Oh yeah, Jake calls it B spin, and it annoys me like hell. And it's it's such a good uh, like they they do so much with it that you go in and you land on one of the platforms and then they walk around it loads and then they duel sort of inside and outside and then Luke falls through all the way to the bottom and like you see the whole city you you very rarely get to spend that much time actually looking around a place mm. and stuff. It's another one of those things about this film where you can just see how much love and effort went into it that they really like built a lot of sets for it and really did a lot of design work and did a lot of thinking of how can we take them to new places and I always appreciate mm, yeah. that another general improvement from A New Hope that, yeah, yeah. They don't there's just a lot run, of they just... don't run through blank corridors every yeah. room's interesting pretty much everything in this film I think is much improved on from A New Hope well that's a general yeah. point I want to make then is that this is like the first other than maybe The Godfather 2 which I don't know came, I don't know whether that came out first or not this is the first genuine like sequel that is not just a cheap little follow up the first genuine sequel 
there ever really was in Hollywood. And I think every sequel ever has basically tried to copy. I can't think of a single one that isn't inspired by it in some way. And it's um, it has the, I think it has the added, added advantage of well being a film that's in the middle of a trilogy, so it can leave itself on a bitter yeah. note at the end, which not very many films get the chance to do. They always have to wrap up and have a happy ending. Yeah. But in this film, hands in carbonite, Luke's just been had his hand blasted off by Vader. Everyone's in a bit of a shitty situation. Hence, it's called The Empire Strikes Back yeah. because it's the Empire doing the striking back, and this mm. film gets to be rubbish at the end, mm. or, or rubbish th- in a I think watching this has kind of actually helped me rationalise my favourite kind of Star Wars films. The bleak ones. Not necessarily the bleak ones, but ones that just have a slightly off atmosphere. Mm. There's something slightly off balance about this in the way that, like you say, it feels similar to The Last Jedi. They're not really that similar, but The Last Jedi and Empire Strikes Back clearly try to do something that A New Hope and Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens don't attempt to do because they they don't need to Hmm. but they don't attempt to do what the empire strikes back in the last jedi do which is kind of just you know balance the scales a little bit not everything is i'd say more than balance the scales i'd say you tip them the other way so yeah i mean they're worse off than they were sorry i don't mean balance the scales in the sense of like they're evening things out more just like ah you know the good side is great but can it always win Hmm. and and you get that question mark at the end of this film which you don't get from most films. Mm. It's like, and yeah. that kind of brings me round to something I hadn't thought of when the film finished, but has kind of entered my head now, which is that the film, as much as it communicates that there's no sitting on the fence, the film doesn't necessarily do that for you, but it just like it just it just levels the playing field again. Mm. It's kind of like how again season seven Game of Thrones spoiler. At the end of season six, you are convinced that Cersei has not got very long, but they deliberately level the playing field just, yeah. and it, it's so that they can spend a little bit more time with it, and so there's not just a, a sweep from one side to yeah. the other. Like it wasn't just a whitewash victory. Yeah. Well, for, it's, at the end yeah. of A New Hope, it, it was just a blow. It wasn't like the end. I mean. If, if there had never been another Star Wars film, it could have been the end. Yeah. But at the same time, was it really? Well, this, is what, I was, this is what I was saying when we watched it. I was trying to briefly... I didn't want to spoil future films. What I was saying is that it's funny what an unambiguous happy ending A New Hope has when when you see in this one, they haven't won anything. Why were they stopping to have like an award ceremony? <laughs> yeah. They shouldn't have been doing that. <laughs> Things were really bad and we just hadn't seen the Death it yet. They blew the Death Star, but you know, they it's still, just, you know, a still major an planet destroyer. I think that's calls for celebration. And then oh, yeah. they just they just do this one little change in this film after the, the everything's sort of as it was in A New Hope on Hoth. And then they just make this little change which changes everything, which is what if they just don't get away? What if they can't get away from the Empire? Mm. And they, for the whole film, they just never get away. And everything gets really, really bad. <laughs> and they, they just... and uh, That's what I like about it, is that they're just getting chased through the whole film, and there comes a point in the film where you think, this is the whole thing. They're, it's just going to be a chase. They're never, ever going to get away from them, and there's not going to be a big battle. They're just going to lose. Yeah. And they deliver on it, which is so brave. 
to do that after A New Hope, which is all shiny happy, and then 12 one <laughs> where they just completely fail at everything. Not necessarily brave, but it could just be, well, we don't have to write the third one, so, you know, let's just let whatever happens. <laughs> it's like, they don't have to, you know, that's, again, the good thing about writing the second one of a trilogy is that you can just have all these loose ends and all these problems that need sorting out, because at the end of the day, mm. you're not the one sorting out the problems, because you're only writing that film. Well, when you've, again, not to spoil Return of the Jedi, but once you've seen the whole thing as a trilogy, there's loads that needs to happen narratively in A New Hope and loads that needs to happen in Return of the Jedi but in this one other than finding out that Vader is Luke's father nothing else really on the checklist needs to happen in this one so I think they just thought let's just have fun with it and put them through absolute shit and we'll sort it out (laughs) in the next one because nothing else really needs to happen we can just have fun with this one (laughs) Um, I would just like it's it's only going to be like a tiny mention but one thing I really enjoyed just just in little bits was the way they just kind of use little bits of empty frame to just have something in there. Like, I first noticed it in the Dagobah system where, like, Luke could be climbing up a tree. And that's all you need to focus on. But just in the like the bottom left corner, there'll just be a lizard. Yeah. Or, like, a snake. Yeah, I know it's so much Or something detail, like that. I, I know it's a lizard. When he goes to sit down yeah. and there's that lizard next to him. Yeah. Just before and, Yoda listens. And there's thing. one, like... Um, I think that's what makes the lightsaber battle a little bit more epic as well, is that when they can't quite strike a blow against each other and like they kind of the combined strength kind of knocks them both to the side when they hit the rail a bit of steam goes up mm. yeah and like like when you were saying before when vader was walking off his ship and somebody said why is there steam mm. and i just thought to myself yeah why is there steam and then it had me thinking and then i wrote down steam snakes lizards etc because there's just none of it's things. necessary there's mm. just little bits like little distractions that mm. aren't necessarily like important but they're just there because you know you have a whole frame to play with you have this shot you have it all everything within this like bit of you have a whole screen essentially and you can put anything in it that you want yeah and it's done well here but as we'll learn in the prequels that is taken oh they go so too far every single frame is like jam-packed full of stuff yeah the only frames i really the only shots i really remember from the prequels that clearly other than like the defining ones like uh, people sat in rooms while the outside world just like buzzes and like there's cars going past it like window height and well, I'll, I'll, there's I'll a lot of standing and sitting and standing and sitting but it's like it, oh, it's the worst combination because it's boring standing and sitting but also it, it, this is not an exaggeration it's an actual fact every single shot in the entire prequel trilogy has CGI every single yeah. one even when they're just standing and sitting and it's just oh it's unwatchable no, you said that before and I pointed out scenes in I think there's the one actually in Phantom Menace but def- definitely definitely in the other two everything has something every, every single shot no, there's like close ups of characters faces that quite clearly don't have CGI on and stuff like that I pointed them out before well they actually used it as like an advertising thing like they really like wanted to, as if that was a good thing every shot's got CGI it's awful and awful. not to spoil anything but is it really a spoiler to say that a certain character from Empire Strikes Back appears as a slightly younger self in the prequels? It depends who you're talking about. Oh yeah, leave that. Leave that. Oh I'm leave. All... Oh I know. Yeah, leave that. Yeah. That right. leads me on to. <laughs> you asked a great question to Noah last week. I'm gonna steal it and ask it this week. Which is, what do you think is gonna happen? In Return of the Jedi. <laughs> yeah. Do you think Luke will come to the dark side? No. What what role do you think? Because now we know that Darth Vader isn't really the ultimate evil. He's got a boss. Yeah. Um, he'll finish his training, Luke. 
So it's going to go back to Yoda. I, I hope so. Yeah. Go on, go on. Yeah. Ooh, a friend I have. <laughs> um, and then he'll return because it's Return of the Jedi. <laughs> but that's all I've got. Yeah, it is a bit of a spoiler <laughs> that title, isn't it? Well, I mean, what do you think will happen with Luke and Vader? Is what I'm really interested and in. What do you think and Han. Yeah, do you think like Luke will kill Vader? Do you think he'll make Vader a nice man? Do you think he'll? I don't think Vader will die. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to see what you guys are thinking. Um, is Han on Frozen? I'm not going to tell you. In fact, actually, it's very interesting because he actually froze Han and Carbonite because he weren't sure if Harrison Ford was actually going to return yeah. to the next film. Oh, so they leave it purposely ambiguous. Yeah, you're you know. in the, exactly the right position there, and that you, you're not really. I think you were nearly right with um, saying that Han was going to die in this film, actually. Because they yeah, because that's what I said last time. Exactly. So yeah. They wanted yeah. to, yeah. you know, they did want to kill him off in some respects because um, they weren't sure whether he'd come back or not. Part of me thinks he will, so I, I kind of want to say he becomes unfrozen. If he, um, if he went to come back I think that would be a good ending for him yeah yeah his last little scene's cool I yeah, know yeah yeah the I know yeah. is great I've seen, I've heard that quote so many times and I always thought that was a Luke and Leia thing rather than a, a Han and Leia thing <laughs> it is interesting isn't it, it that um, we've not really addressed Luke and Leia's relationship much. yeah does that surprise you that it was Han and Leia that got together yeah and definitely um, I think there's still hope for Luke and Leia <laughs> So if, if, um, Me too. I I think so. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, if Han doesn't come back, then yeah, then Luke and Leia will be a thing. Mm. Cool. And have wonderful children. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What else do you think might happen? Like, what if you could just sort of like guess at like the general? There's obviously going to be like a massive battle because. Okay. I feel like they're they're getting better, so I feel like this one will be a good like a good one. Cool. Oh, you mean in terms of what they can like. Pull off. Can do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't really know what else to expect. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair assessment. It does not leave so much. Cause yeah, they do so leave a pretty blank slate, like, yeah. where you don't really know where it's going. Again, like The Last Jedi. It's mm-hmm. difficult that, to gauge, You really like, don't know where it's going. Yeah, yeah, like where everyone stands and stuff. Like You, you don't really know what to expect. Yeah. So. Yeah. Before we finish, can I... Say one more thing, which mm-hmm. is the music. I've just got to pay. You have to put special the music tribute in there. to the music because we've actually found out this week favorite. since yeah they got the same. Oh, music. sorry, yeah, yeah. Since since we did the last one, uh, John Williams announced that episode that nine will be his last ever Star Wars film and his last ever film, right? I don't or think he probably he hasn't retired, but I don't think it'll be his last ever film. But I mean, this is maybe like the best film score ever. I think. He's got the Imperial March, which... Oh, the Death no, March. No, even you knew that. You knew, <laughs> yeah. the, you knew the Imperial March. Got the name uh, yeah, you called it the Death March. <laughs> <laughs> um, Yoda's theme, the Han and Leia theme. And it's not even like the big themes. It's just individual scenes that John Williams is just having so much fun with. The asteroid the asteroid yeah. field scene where he's got the big blare and... Yeah. Um, I'm not going to sing dun, it, but dun, you know. Dun, dun, yeah, and it's just... Dun, 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 dun. Thank you. Yeah, well done. <laughs> yeah, Andy. Will so I just have to sing it. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like it's themes that never come back again. But he's just so bloody talented as a composer that he can just throw in things like that for a laugh. And oh my god, the music in this film is just amazing. I could do a whole separate podcast about it. Well, you're right. Oh, maybe I will one day. You are writing like a thirty thousand word dissertation on it. So not just on that. Mainly no. on that though. <laughs> <laughs> um. So. 
Should we do scores? Or any, yes, let's we'll go around and we shall... Um, um, just going to see if I've got anything in my notes that I didn't mention. No, design of Cloud City, and that. <laughs> um, let's talk amongst ourselves. Oh, the addition of the Admiral becoming a poison chalice. Yeah. Just, just a little thing. Like, the person who now is just... I mean, we kind of touched on it before. There is no... Until the Emperor's kind of been produced via hologram... There is no question that Vader is in charge on that ship anymore yeah. because as soon as anybody fucks up, Vader just kills him. Yeah. And then, until the last guy. Until the last guy, yeah. which makes me feel like he's got some super he's torture waiting for him. No, in, I in think the, he's uh, in episode two. He's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's great. Um, I think he's sleeping with him. That's why he doesn't want to kill him. <laughs> it's, it's, it's great, Ryan, to do that, I think, as well because it means if you've got someone in charge like that who's such a bad boss who will just like rule by fear and kill you for the slightest thing it's like it's no surprise that these people invented the Death Star that destroys planets for stepping out of line it's it's yeah um, little tiny thing likes the little logo on the guy's helmet that was like the what are they called in the on the like first order. order when first you say order. little things you mean really little things yeah <laughs> no it's just a tiny little thing I just saw it the front left of the screen Every was just a bit frame. like Ooh, that's like the first order and it rhymes <laughs> but no that's that's all my notes uh, just yeah alright cool well we'll go around um, I'll start with my score um, I am um, I but he's still doing took potatoes. the liberty of listening <laughs> to the end of last week before so I could recap on what we all scored last week I believe last week yeah. I, I, on my patented potato scale I gave a new hope 3.5 no you give it four give baked it four, potatoes yeah. oh I give it four we baked up, potatoes although I did points not potatoes that's true okay um, <laughs> <laughs> points <laughs> you can reassess your score if you want I do think to be fair I, I always reassess my, every time I watch Star Wars I always end up changing the scores I'd probably looking back at just how much of an improvement Empire is over um, A New Hope but I know that Empire isn't my favourite film um, for many reasons so I'd probably give Empire an 8 and New Hope a 7. Ooh, okay. I wouldn't give A New Hope lower than a 7, even though I think it may deserve it. 7. If only 5. because it... No, I'd stick with 7. I, I, th- I would probably give it lower under normal circumstances. But it is a good film. It's just It, it gets a 7 from me because it you know, starts so much new stuff that's never been done before. But Empire is a, so much of an improvement over um, yeah. A New Hope that it has to get a higher score. But I don't want to give it too high of a score because I know there are films that I you want to give a high score, really? higher scores to, including Attack of the Clones, which is a <laughs> one hundred out of ten film. For me. So, um, no. what's okay. your score? What do you think of it overall as a conclusion, and then give us your score? I I really enjoyed it. Um, I probably because you gave I you gave hope you four out of five potatoes. Well, no, I gave no, it eight out of ten points. Different scales, Jake. Yeah, don't reflect your ways on other people. <laughs> um. I'm tempted to shift A New Hope to a 7.5 and make this an 8.5. Just because I don't want to hit 9 yet, just in case anything better comes. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, this is considered, like, for for Star Wars fans, most Star Wars fans would consider this the 10 out of 10 Star Wars film. Uh, Yeah, but we shouldn't be saying that, really, should we? That's the whole point of this, is that we've got someone new to it who hasn't... I guess at the very end, on the last podcast, we can all go through... Yeah. Definitively decide. Yeah. That'll be a boring podcast. And then we're going to tell you that we're watching them all again. And that, no. Um, <laughs> um, all at once. <laughs> back to back. With the holiday special. <laughs> On Star Wars Day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rob. Um, nine. Just a 9.0. Just 
I, ga- I gave New Hope an 8.5, right? Yes, he did. Yeah. So, do you yeah. think this is only 0.5's worth of well, improvement? I tend to... I, 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 don't I know think it's not first compared to score. I, like I don't think it's perfect. I, 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 did, I do have gripes with it, but like they're not issues with the film in general. They're just issues with little bits of each, little bits of scenes, if you know what I mean. Like There's nothing that necessarily affects my enjoyment of the film. It has a better... I think it has a better atmosphere. I think it has a better grasp of more interesting themes than just kind of good versus evil, that kind of stuff. I didn't properly articulate it before, but I think as much as the film is about black and white, good and evil, you either do or you don't, this kind of thing, the ending, leaving a little bit of doubt in Luke's mind, just kind of, it doesn't bring it full circle, but it just kind of, it's like writing a whole story and then just putting, or did they, at the end. And not in an annoying way, mm. but just it just leaves a little question mark after all this certainty. Yeah. There's just that little bit, there's just a little question mark at the end. And so, you know, that's my point made, I'll part that. But it's got a better atmosphere. I think it has a better idea of character because it doesn't have to introduce them as well. It just has to pick up from where we left off and then it can have time. And I think that's the same. I think you could apply that to the rest of the film in general, to be honest, where like it doesn't have to introduce everything. Then I have a middle bit and then an end. Like it can just it can pick up with things that we already know. We already have loads of context. Like the first film does a lot of legwork <laughs> yeah. for this one, essentially. And it feels like how do I put this by comparing it to episodes seven and eight? When you go and see The Force Awakens, it's like that was a great Star Wars film, but when you go and see The Last Jedi, you feel like this is like a Star Wars film done by... Do you know what I mean? Like, with J.J. Abrams, he feels a little bit like he's in love. It, that That's that's what it feels like. <laughs> I've got it now. <laughs> episode 7 is similar to Episode 4 in the sense that it is made so passionately and so well by someone who really cares and loves the franchise. Yeah. Whereas Empire Strikes Back and Last Jedi have been made by outsiders. Yeah. And People with a different come perspective in, on Yeah, the franchise. they've come in and put an interesting perspective in there. Yeah, it's a different stamp. I completely stamp. agree. Completely agree. And yeah. that's kind of how I feel. That's why it improves it for me. Yeah, because George, George Lucas was not a huge yeah. fan of all the changes that they made for Episode Five, really, was mm. he? Just a little... Well, I mean, yeah. I, I don't want to, like, underplay how, you know... He, he was still, like on set every day like he was still like a huge part of it and he helped write the script and stuff but I think he disagreed with a lot of the decisions that Irving Kershner was making I think he he wouldn't have made it this way he wouldn't have directed it this way it would have m- m- looked much more similar to A New Hope had he done it no I guess we see what he would have done with the prequels he absolutely wouldn't have had like Vader and Luke fighting in the dark surrounded by smoke no way would that have happened and like all the kind of quiet moments between Han and Leia, I think they would have been less, or they would have been cut from the film. There would have been even. We haven't talked about three PO, and I feel like there would have been even more. I, do you know, I was going to say right at <laughs> the end, George Lucas addressed it. And it's not to trash George Lucas, but I think it's a good point that it's so much better for having someone come into it with a fresh pair of eyes. I think there's just enough three PO in this film for him mm. to not get annoyed. There's enough distance, actually. The creators have enough distance from the first film, personally, yeah. just to make it better. So is, you know what I mean? is this your favourite Star Wars film? 
From memory, yes, and obviously so far, yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, in this little series, yeah. I was just funny that you mentioned C-3PO because no one had actually mentioned him, and I was going to wait until the very end. We talked about him a lot in um, New Hope. Yeah, and I was going to wait until the very end of the podcast and then just shout, C-3PO, because we hadn't mentioned him. <laughs> we hadn't dropped his name. So go he, he knows the he's, hell He's fine in this. Oh, he knows, like... he knows the hell out of me in this one, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> everything, everything else that way is it. So, Andy, give us your score. Ten. Anyway, um, no, no, I'll, I'll uh, to elaborate more on that. Um, well, that's what you were doing. You you said last week about a new hope that we very rarely actually sit down and watch it, and I think that's because as much as I love a new hope and you enjoy it a lot too, we know there's better Star Wars films. Empire does everything better, exactly. every single thing. Like, and it's it's a new hope actually sets a high bar. We all really enjoyed that last week, but this just. Is, is even better. There's, I don't think there's anything in A New Hope that isn't better. We don't watch A New Hope because it'd be like, you know, oh, let's go and watch this film even though we know there's a film that does the same things but a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think I think everything reaches its full potential. I don't have, other than tiny little things like 3PO being a bit much and uh, the Hoth stuff I think sometimes is a bit irrelevant to the main story but it's really tiny little things and Yeah, Hoth is a place to begin. I, I, I don't think I've really done justice to how much I love it. It's just brilliant. And uh, it's, yeah. I, and, I, and I know, having seen them all a million times, that there isn't one that I prefer. This is my mm. favourite one. I'm not, I'm not normally um, a stereotypical Star Wars fan. I promise I do have some controversial opinions. But on this one, I sorry, to I'm wait. totally predictable. <laughs> Empire's the best one. It just is. Ten. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So... Actually, there was a note that I didn't mention, and it was just that Yoda's introduction is a decent bit of misdirection that teaches you quite a lot about how patience is valuable to the Force. Oh, because, no, you, you, because you for didn't a little second, you didn't think it was Yoda. <laughs> yeah, it, just, it didn't what? seem like anything that anyone had, distri- had described him as like beforehand. So it was just a bit weird, like throwing bits of the ship out and like eating Luke's food and stuff. It was great, it was hilarious. I, yeah. I absolutely, <laughs> one of my favourite little moments of the whole film was him fighting R2 for the lamp. Oh my gosh. Because yeah. when R2 grabs it out of his hand, I feel like even when Yoda's acting, I feel like he's genuinely pissed off about that when R2 grabs the lamp. And, <laughs> and he starts like, whacking it with his stick. <laughs> I think that's like real. Like he's genuinely pissed off about it. And I, love I just it. love the, the way like the way that R2's little hook enters the frame. Just yeah, like, just, just like, yeah. slowly, yeah. <laughs> It's like this secret weapon you didn't know R2 had. It's, well, it's like he's a droid, so maybe Yoda didn't sense it or something. Yeah. And it's the first time in years that something's genuinely taken him by surprise. It's like, whoa! <laughs> yeah. But yeah um, Should yeah. we leave it there then? Introduce him as a little. Uh... Yeah. So I guess that concludes this, well, this fortnightly episode of Rebel Chums. But we'll be taking a short break. Over Easter. Yeah, because you're... We have families to see. Yeah. yeah. We have lives to London. do, and Star Wars is, despite what you may think, after an hour-long discussion <laughs> on it, not the most important thing in our lives. Um, but we will be back after Easter with episode six. Return, return of the, return of the Jedi. Jedi. We will return with Return of the Jedi. <laughs>